It's not fair that I should have to get up here after that song. Man, no song that'll mess you up more than that one. I'm going to ask you to go to Romans chapter 8, if you would, with me this morning. Romans chapter 8. Um, forgive me if my voice gets a little weak along the way. I've got a bit of a, a bug going on since Thursday. So I'm going to pray for you in just a minute, and you pray for me, okay? If my voice breaks up, you understand why. Romans chapter 8, and uh, we're going we're gonna to start off with Ephesians 6.18. You know what, before I pray, can you guys, um, Jody, could you throw that up on the screen, Ephesians 6.18? Thank you. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on that in just a minute, but just drink that in about what it's saying. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. It's where we're going this morning in Romans chapter 8, where Paul talks about the reality that we don't know how to pray as we should, and he calls us out on that issue. Let's go to the Father together right now, acknowledging the weakness that we have in that area, but at the same time asking him for strength and that he would teach us. Would you join me in that? Let's pray together. Father, we've just lifted our voices together, and we're willing to declare there is no one like you. The word holy is the best we can do, and it's a word you use to describe yourself, but we don't even really grasp what that is. But in triune form, we would really be willing to say, holy, holy, holy. There is no one like you. So collectively, all of us in this auditorium right now and those who are watching online with us, Father, we come before you as a group of people who want to know you better, who, under, who desire to understand you better, and recognize we have a weakness. And so we ask that you would teach us, that you would show us how we can be strengthened so walk with us now, Father. Teach us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. My mom told me that as a toddler, um, I would refuse to speak. Up until the age of three, when adults would say things to me, I would not say them back to them. So no matter how much my mom and dad coached me, I would remain stone-faced. And I don't mean not willing to utter a sentence. I mean not even a word. So my mom signed me up to meet with hearing specialists because she thought maybe I was deaf. And then she had me meet with speech pathologists because she thought maybe there was a speech problem. And no, it turns out I was just stubborn. I had a real weakness. I just wanted to keep my thoughts to myself and not put them out there for anybody else. I remember reading as a little boy because my mom kept a baby journal on each of us when we were children. I remember reading as a child back uh, on that period of time and learning that I came out of my shell somewhere around three years of age. Now, as a teen, my mom would often tell me that she wished I would go back to that period of time and learn when to keep my mouth shut. I had to learn how to communicate both effectively and appropriately. Because of my place in the family, by virtue of who I was, I had to develop something that I had not developed very well. I could not function unless I learned to communicate. 
Now, after finishing college, Lori and I, when we were married, joined ministry staff of Youth Haven Ranch. Some of you heard me talk about that before. And in that setting, um, we had the responsibility to go out on the weekends and speak in churches and in, in the weeknights during the evenings. And I spoke occasionally at some organizational events. I very quickly had to learn to communicate in a way that I had never communicated before, becoming a public speaker. Well, because of our association with Family Life Radio, soon I found myself doing radio broadcasts on a daily basis, five times a day, six days a week, on 48 radio stations in 11 states. And I learned very quickly that I was not a good communicator, and I had to learn to develop by reality, by virtue of who I was, by my identity. I had to develop, or I could not function in my role. The same is true when we come to the issue of prayer. We all have a weakness, and Paul alliterates, he enumerates on it, and speaks about this very issue and calls us out. When you come to Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, he makes it face forward that we all have a weakness. Look with me, and let's just take it as a chunk first, and then we'll break it down. Here's kind of an overview. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You'll find that what we looked at last week in verses 24 and 25... And this week in verses 26, 27, and next week in 28 and 29, all six of those form a core of confidence for us, a core that's based on the purposes of God. You won't find what's on the screen in your notes. You might even want to write it down really quickly. But let me show you these three purposes of God. This core of confidence that comes out of these six verses is, first of all, we learned last week, he's got a purpose, that one day there's going to be a regeneration of everything. Everything will be made new. He makes all things new according to Scripture. So Paul wrote in verses 25 last week, in hope we have been saved, in hope of that sure future that's coming for us. But he's got another purpose. His purpose is that in the meantime, that we would know that he's intimately aware of our needs, and he does respond, even when we think he doesn't. But there's another purpose in the midst of that. He's got a purpose that in the meantime that we also would understand that He's working in the midst of all those things for good, according to what Scripture says, as you're going to see next week, Romans 8, 28. So as you begin to break this passage down, you find that this is one of the most intimate descriptions of how the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, how they work together, the inner workings, you get an inside view of how they work together on your behalf. So let's break it down. Go with me back to verse 26 and see the way that Paul wrote it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. Now, in the same way, he's referring back to what you talked about last week, our our groaning, creation's groaning. We're all groaning because things are broken here on this planet. So there's a groan of creation and there's a groan of believers. We want to be released from the darkness of sin here. So earlier, we were described as those who suffer. And we suffer with difficulties here on this planet. And you know what the suffering does to you? It leaves you confused. Like, how could this be God's purposes? How could this thing that's going on in my life right now be for good? How can that be good? I'm confused about this, God. 
And so the suffering leaves you really wanting that time of God's ultimate restoration. So Paul tells us in the midst of verse 26, he says, during that time, the Spirit comes and he helps you in your weakness. You should notice that it's written in the present tense, meaning it's not a one-time thing. In the Greek language, when something is written in the present tense, it means it keeps on happening. He's helping you continually, not just once. So you find this huge $10 Greek word that's in your notes, the only Greek word in your notes this morning, you see it on the screen. And it means simply to take hold of something. So picture yourself carrying a really heavy load, and you're burdened down by it. But someone bigger, stronger, smarter than you comes along and shows you what it means for someone stronger to carry it. That's what's going on. That's the word picture with this word. See, it's not that the Spirit occasionally helps you because we're constantly weak. He doesn't occasionally help us. Our constant state is one of weakness. Now, don't take that as a personal insult when verse 26 says that. It's just saying this is a reality, and know that there's evidence of your weakness as you look at Scripture, specifically weakness in prayer. I'll just give some present-day example for you to think about, and you don't have to raise your hand. You can just smile if this is true of you. Who here has bent the knee before the Father only to find your attention span isn't lasting very long? A lot of smiles. Who here has bent the knee before the Father only to find yourself at a complete loss for words? You just don't know what to say. Who here has bent the knee before the Father, but you're not able to discern the will and the purposes of God in a given situation? See, we identify very quickly with what Paul is talking about when he says, we got a weakness. I do have a short attention span. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to put the words together. I find it really encouraging that Paul uses the word, our weakness. Or in your translation, it might say, helps us in our time of need. Because he's not putting himself on some pedestal as though his prayer life is perfect. It's not like he finds faults in other people and sees himself as completely having it all together. He says, I need the Spirit's help as well. So this weakness that he's talking about here, this is not sin. So if you're feeling like you've sinned in some way, that God isn't going to hear you, he's not talking about that kind of a weakness. He's referring to a reality that we're not the spiritual giants we like to think that we are. We are weak. And left to ourself, we'd be in a world of trouble. So he's referring to the weakness of human nature here. So he comes into this stark reality when you come to verse 26, and go to the next part of it with me, because he says, for we do not know how to pray as we should, even though we're redeemed. What are you talking about, Mark? I know how to pray. You know what he's saying here is true. Now, it's thought by some that he means you don't know how to pray. In other words, you don't know how to put together flowery words. Maybe you don't know how to speak biblically. That, that's not what he's saying. Now, it's true to a degree, maybe we don't structure our sentences real well, and maybe we don't put our words together, but that's not the only thing Paul is saying here. He's primarily referring to the subject matter. See, you and I, we think we know what we need, but the reality is we're not always good judges, are we, church? We need more than three people to say amen on that one. We're not. We're not 
always good judges of what we need. We think we know what we need. I'll give you an example. You find Paul, I'll give you lots of examples this morning, as a matter of fact. You find Paul telling us that three times he goes to God asking for God to do something for him. He's in prayer. God, would you remove this thorn in my flesh? Now, we're not told what the thorn is. Some people believe that his back was broken because of the beatings. Some think that his eyes were injured from the stonings. We don't know. Another person I read recently who thought that maybe he had a broken jaw because he took so much abuse. We don't know what it is. What we do know is that he felt the pain so intensely, God, please remove this thorn in my flesh. Apparently, he felt it was hindering him. By the third time, God comes to him and says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. What's going on in that story? Paul's praying for the wrong thing. He thinks he knows what he needs, but hear this, and this is true of you, it's true of me. Paul's request doesn't link with God's will for him at that time. Does God want to heal Paul? Yeah, ultimately, ultimately may mean in eternity, though. Paul may need to live on this planet with the wound that he's carrying because God's will is not to heal him at that time. So let's not just use Paul for an example. Let's go to Moses. Moses is another giant of the faith. That's an easy one to picture. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 3 later today and read the story. Moses reiterates to God in Deuteronomy chapter 3, I've gone before Pharaoh on your behalf. I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've wandered the wilderness with these insufferable people for 40 years. Won't you at least let me please go into the promised land? Can't I put my eyes on it and see it? No, Moses, you can't. A man of God who writes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you would think he knows what to ask for? And God says, no, Moses, that's not going to happen for you. Joshua is going to do that. For you and I, it is really difficult to know what is best to ask for because we're sight limited. So we often ask for what we want because we're driven by circumstances. Well, let's use another biblical example. You come to another story in the Bible and you find that the disciples are caught up in some kind of a let's get revenge on people mode. Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. It's his last trip there. It's called the Ascension because he's about to be crucified. But before he goes there, he stops in some cities along the way. Now, he sends the disciples ahead of him, and he tells the disciples to go into a certain Samaritan village and make preparations. But when they go there, the people of the city, they refuse to let Jesus enter because he's on his way to Jerusalem, and they don't want anything to do with the Jews. Now, watch how the disciples respond. Luke 9, 54, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Let's nuke them, God. All right, now now how in keeping with God's will was that request? God's people talking to God, saying, this is what we should do. And God says, no, You totally misunderstand. See, even a growing Christian cannot know all of God's purposes concerning our own needs. You may not even be aware of some of the issues going on in your life right now. As well as you know yourself, 
Peter is a growing Christian. He makes a declaration about who Jesus is. God has personally revealed to him something about who Jesus is. And yet Peter finds himself in a place that's very precarious in which he's told by God himself that Satan destroys to t- desires to take him out. Look with me on the screen at Luke 9:54. I'm sorry, Luke 22:31. Behold, he's talking to Peter here. Behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once again you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What is going on there? Peter doesn't understand. There's a circumstance bigger than Peter even knows about. Satan wants to take you out, Peter, but God has to intervene on Peter's behalf. See, even a growing Christian cannot know all of God's purposes concerning our own needs. We do not know what is best unless, and there's always a caveat, isn't there? We don't know what's best unless we're praying for the will of God. And when our prayers are aligned with God's purposes, that's when it opens what was closed. That's when God goes into action, when his will is prayed for. So you find things like James 5.16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I know, that's the King James Version. My mind goes there immediately as a kid. I was trained in the King James Bible, so it goes back to that old English form of talking. But let me ask you a question this morning. If you're in Jesus right now, if you're a believer in Jesus, does God see you as righteous? More than five of you agree with that, right? Let me ask that question again. If you're in Jesus, does God see you as righteous? Okay. So you got that part down. The effectual fervent prayer, and then it's linked with a righteous person. So God sees you as righteous because of what Jesus did for you. Perhaps not feeling so righteous right now, but righteous because God declared you to be righteous. So that part, that's not a mystery to you. But what about the effectual part and the fervent part? You find your attention swaying back and forth, your effectiveness not quite so good in the midst of prayer. Then you begin to understand what the writers are talking about here. See, the privilege of prayer has always been one of great mystery. I understand God is always at work. I understand that he's invited me to join him in his work. He's always aware. He's always listening. And he invites us to jump into that activity. But for our part, we're all too familiar with our own inadequacy. So we're left a bit puzzled. Like, God, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do here. Let me flesh it out with you this way. I'll bet at various times in your life, you can point to circumstances where volumes of prayer were lifted up to God on behalf of a person or or a situation, but the response from heaven was not what was desired. And perhaps that left you feeling as though you failed in some way, as though you didn't measure up or God's not listening to you. And it's really sad to say that in the midst of times like that, there's always a person who will cast aspersions and say, well, the problem is you just had sin in your life, or you just don't have enough faith making you feel as though you carry the weight for God not responding. 
I will argue with that person theologically every single time that seeking the will of God in the midst of the circumstance is preeminent. Always chasing after the will of God. How do I know that? Because Jesus himself modeled that. Just think mentally back with me to the time in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you're a church person, you know where I'm going with this. Jesus, before he's arrested, stands pleading with God. God the Son becomes Jesus the man. And in the night that he's arrested, he's been betrayed by one of his own followers. We hear him saying, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Every single time a difficult circumstance comes along, our first reaction has to be, God, I know you're working. You're always working. You're in the midst of this, and you say that you're working things together for good, but it doesn't feel good right now. So let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I've talked to people after each of the first two services, last night and the service this morning, who have tripped over that issue all their life. How can Jesus himself be in the place where he's asking God to let the cup pass from him for the very reason that he came? I'm so grateful that God included that verse in the passages, that we would understand that he was fully man yet fully God. And seeking the will of God constantly. So nevertheless, I want this cup to pass from me. But not my will, your will be done. Your will preeminently. Whenever I desire my will, put your will first. That makes sense because when you find the disciples coming to God and saying, teach us how to pray, Jesus' response in teaching them how to pray was, We'll pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It wasn't by accident Jesus put that at the beginning. Praying for God's will first and foremost. So we understand not my will, your will. How many times have you wondered how to pray for somebody? How many times have you wondered how to intervene for somebody in the midst of an illness or personal trauma going on in their life? Praying the right way is the hardest way to pray. God, whatever you have to do to accomplish your will, do it. I stood right here a half hour ago with somebody who was in the first service whose brother will not be here seven days from today. He's dying with cancer. And the doctors have told him, he's maybe got two more days, three tops. So this individual, with tears in his eyes, telling me, I have struggled for so long believing that maybe it's just that I don't believe enough. I know God wants to heal, but my argument to him was, God wants to heal him in eternity if he doesn't want to heal him on earth. Your responsibility is to lift it up before God, seeking his will. 
And the hardest thing to do in the midst of those circumstances, tears are filling his eyes while he's standing here saying, I know I've got to turn it over to God, but I'm afraid of the outcome. I'm afraid of what's going to come from that. There's a reason why we hold back in prayer. There's actually multiple reasons, and sometimes it just is because we want our will first and foremost. Uh, In case you've been beating up on yourself in the first 15 minutes here together on this passage, let me hit the pause button. I want to share with you a quote from a guy who's a giant of the faith of Christ. His name is John Bunyan. And John Bunyan lived in the 1600s, and look what he wrote about himself in prayer. I find that my heart is slow to go to God, and when it does go to Him, it does not seem to want to stay with Him, so that very often I am forced in my prayers first to beg of God that He would take my heart and set it on Himself. I like that. And then when it is there, that He would keep it there. That's a great way to start. Keep me focused on you, Father. Now, while it's really encouraging to know that this is a familiar issue, it's more encouraging to know that God has dealt with the issue head on. That's the last part of verse 26. Look with me on the screen. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So the Spirit comes to the rescue The Spirit intercedes, and when we talked about the word helps, means he keeps on helping. Intercedes is written the exact same way. He keeps on interceding. It's not a one-time thing. It's constant. It's present. Why? Because you and I are far too weak. There's too many trials going on. We got too many cars breaking down. We got too much cancer. There's too much need. And so impatience develops really, really quickly, even in the smallest of circumstance. Just let your mind drift back to Luke chapter 9 and what I just shared with you. What? They won't let you into the village, Jesus? Let's destroy them with a fireball from heaven. See, we're controlled by circumstances. We want God to fix it and fix it now. No trial is so small, but that it could overcome us if we're left to ourselves. But the reality is it doesn't have to be a trial. There's a variety of distractions that can take us out. Sin will keep you from going to God. I'm not going to read it to you right now, but just later today, look at Psalm 32. Maybe just write that down in your notes, Psalm 32. And I know many of you know exactly what I'm referring to when I mention that. That's David when he committed adultery. He's been sleeping with Bathsheba, who is not his wife. And he decides that because he's committed such an offensive sin, he can't go to God. And so he doesn't. And in Psalm 32, this is the guy who wrote the book of Psalms, the one who's after God's own heart, who says, I decided in Psalm 32 not to go to God, and my bones, they dried up. I wasted away. He says, this is like the summer heat coming down on me. But then by the time you get to verse 5, it all turns because he said, then I went to God and I received forgiveness of my sin. See, sin will keep you from going to God, along with a few other things. I'm going to put four of them on the screen right now and then see if you can find yourself in those four. Is one of these issues the one that keeps you from coming to the Father? Number one, we think he's not interested. Anybody identify with that one? We, We think that the issues we've got are not that significant. Number two, we think we could be afraid of what the answer might be. That, that's my friend who was here just 40 minutes ago. 
I'm afraid of what the answer is. Number three, we struggle with giving consistent attention to the issue. I'm just going to out myself. That's me. Being consistent. That we all have a weakness in some area. Number four, the awareness of our own sin. That can do it just like we just talked about. And if that's you this morning, let me put a verse on the screen that will encourage you. God's own word reminding you. 1 John 2.2. If anyone sins, we have an advocate. Amen, church? We have an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father who? Jesus Christ. He's the righteous one. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. How good is our God that he gives us both Jesus and the Holy Spirit to make intercession for us. So this spirit who indwells you, he stands in constant communion with the Father, and his prayer is so intense on your behalf. Paul says these are groans that are too deep for words to even articulate. It goes on in a way that's way beyond our our understanding. God the Spirit speaking to God the Father, interpreting our thoughts. Can you envision God caught up in emotional prayer? God leaning into God? That's the word prayer in the Greek language, proskuneo. Pro meaning forward, proskuneo, leaning into. God leaning into God. If you have a troubled mind with that image, just think back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus in the garden, God the Son becomes Jesus the man, leaning into God the Father. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Groaning, we're told, with great sweat drops of blood profusely pouring out of his skin. Is there emotion in prayer? Absolutely. God groans. So the verse finishes out in verse 27, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Notice that, not according to the will of man, but according to the will of God. He who searches our hearts That one's not even named. Only one is described that way in the entire Bible. God, he has direct access into your mind. He knows you better than you know yourself. He sees what you think. He knows your thoughts. There's nothing hidden. And because his knowledge is direct, it is not dependent upon your capacity. Hear that. It is not dependent upon your capacity. Rather, your participation I'll come back to that thought in just a moment. This God has direct access to you. That's not new information. Here's just an example verse on the screen. 1 Samuel 16. God sees man's heart differently than man sees. A man looks at the outward. God looks interior. Now, if the Father knows the hearts of men, how much more does he know the mind of the Spirit? He understands the Spirit exactly And so the Spirit intercedes according to the will of God, not according to the will of man. So the will of the Spirit and the will of the Father, they're identical because God is one. So even though the Spirit's groans are not known by you and I, the Father knows exactly what the Spirit is asking for. Let me give you a really simple image maybe to let this lodge in your mind. Forgive me for 
giving an analogy that is this symbol, but maybe you'll get where I'm going. At our home, we have a few golden retrievers. And one of our golden retrievers is about a three and a half year old female. And when I go out to their kennels early in the morning to let them out, um, after they come back into the kennel, there's a particular cupboard door that I'll stand next to. And the female that's three and a half years old knows what's inside that cupboard door is a milk bone dog biscuit. And she gets very excited about her milk bone dog biscuit. But she can't speak in human terms. And so she has developed the ability to groan. And she'll sit next to me and she will groan and groan and groan. Maybe you have a dog and you identify with this, you understand how they communicate. But in this particular case, this female dog who can't do anything else other than sit at me and look with puppy dog eyes will do this. And I kid you not, those are really the sounds. If you came to my house, you would hear it. And if I interpret it correctly, what she's saying is, I know my biscuit is in that door and I want it, bring it now. I'm sorry for the simple analogy, but Scripture says God speaks to God in a language they both understand. Do you understand how remarkable this statement is by Paul about the intimacy within the Trinity, the omniscience of God, knowing God, Jesus who continually intercedes on your behalf, the Spirit who continually intercedes on your behalf? How much does God love you? to the degree that he even gives you an intercessor to make sure you are heard in the midst of your groaning. So he hears what we ourselves couldn't even articulate. We can't even accurately ask it of him. But verse 27 says, he knows the mind of the Spirit, and that Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That means the Spirit is never going to go to God with frivolous request. He's never going to ask of God things that you don't need. So if you're praying for that brand new red convertible and you don't really need it, don't expect the Spirit to be speaking to the Father on your behalf about that. And you may be asking about that brand new red convertible, but the Spirit may interpret it by saying what she means to say is what he means, Father, is. Do you understand what Romans 8 is doing here? It's giving encouragement to you, to the humblest of God's people. These verses are pointing out to us, we're not left on our own. There may be a lot of groanings going on on this planet. There may be a lot of broken bodies, a lot of physical struggles. There may be a lot of wars and rumors of wars. But we're not left on our own while in the midst of the groaning and the suffering. It's showing us the Spirit comes to you. And when you are baffled about the perplexity of prayer, he takes it to God with an intensity far greater than you can ever imagine. Last example. I didn't ask this person who attends our church for permission to use their name, so I won't do it. I'll just trade their name for this name, Mike. His name's not Mike, okay? So I'll just use that name, Mike. A couple who began attending here a couple of years ago who um, had no church experience. And the New Hope thing was completely off the charts for them. After being here three months or so, they got it and began understanding who Jesus is. The gospel made sense to them. They understood. And so they asked if they could meet with me. And I said, absolutely, let's talk. 
So we sat down in an office, and um, I always ask people in that setting just to articulate back to me what they understand the gospel to be. And they both did a very good job saying, we understand who Jesus is and what he did, and that we have a responsibility. How do we do this? Well, in those settings, I always like to ask them to pray. Those individuals in that setting, just in their own words, the best they can, put it back to God. So in true form, um, his wife began articulating back to God. And she was really quite eloquent, did a great job really expressing her thoughts. But when it came to him, his turn, um, he was visibly emotionally broken and really struggling and straining. And it sounded like this. Hey, God, it's Mike here. I know we haven't talked before. but I'm ready. Do you think God heard that prayer, church? Humblest, humblest, humblest. Don't know what to say. What did the Spirit do with that? What kind of groaning was that? If you're a believer, you understand your destiny. You know your arrival in the presence of God is guaranteed because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But check this. Between now and that moment, God says, I've got you, even in your prayer life. So don't you give up. Don't you ever give up on prayer. Don't hide behind a defense of ignorance. I just don't know how to do it. I'm not that good of it. Prayer is part of your walk with Jesus. And he never said when you pray or if you pray, but this is how you pray. Take it on and hit it straight forward. Do this as part of your daily habit. So I need to put Ephesians 6.18 back on the screen with you just to close this out. And I'm going to give you a minute to pray to close the service. With all prayer... And petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And if you've always been wondering what that is, pray in the Spirit. This is linked with Romans 8.26. When Paul is talking about the Spirit going to God on our behalf, it's exactly what it's linked with. Pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert. Pray consistently with the things of God on your mind. Why? Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. I'm going to invite you, if you're going into prayer time right now, and it's only going to take four minutes or so, Michael's going to play underneath and just give you some time to talk to God. Here's how I'm going to encourage you. First of all, begin with thanking God for giving you the Holy Spirit as your intercessor, that you don't have to do this on your own. And if God's putting someone on your heart right now or some issue you can be sure that is where your responsibility begins. Here's why. Because what you really are is you are a conduit. You are a conduit through which God triggers the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life and in the life of people around you. Your role, if you've always wondered what your role is in prayer, your role is to unleash the activity of the Holy Spirit into a situation. Even if your words don't measure up, 
How magnificent, New Hope, that even in our needs in prayer, it's dependent upon God's faithfulness and not our capacity because he's got you. So take this time right now. Talk to the Father. Take a few minutes. Express to him what's on your heart. I can't imagine a sweeter sound coming up before you right now, Father, than the prayers of your saints. You say it's like a sweet aroma to you, a beautiful fragrance ascending before the throne. Your expectation of us is that we would be faithful and that we would be found in a pattern of prayer. It expresses our dependence upon you. So you find your people doing that right now, and I know it pleases your heart. Whatever the trial, whatever the issue, whatever the challenge, whatever the praise is, we give it all to you. Thank you for what you've done in this hour. Perhaps for some people, you've set them on a new trajectory. You caused them to have a deeper understanding of their responsibility before you. And if that's the case, Father, you've responded to the requests that we made that we would know you better that we would understand better who we are before you. I pray that you allow us to walk into a greater degree of power before you because we understand the power of prayer. So I don't only pray for those who have gathered in this service, God. I pray for those who are coming into the 1130 and those who are in the early 815 and those who were here last night. God, that new hope would be identified as a church of prayer. Make that true of us, Father. Send us out now with your blessing. With the knowledge that we have intercessors and that you've got us. We praise you for that in Jesus' matchless name. And all God's people said, amen. Uh, Before I let you go, two things. On Thursday nights, there's prayer meeting here at New Hope. I don't know if you knew that. Maybe you're new to the church and you weren't aware, but on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock, Chris Schimke leads that. It usually takes place in the cafe, and if you have a mind to, you could join for that. I'd love to have you there. The other thing is, this morning we provided a book. It's called Pray the Word for Your Church. And it's in the back of the auditorium. Kyle will be back there at that table. There's not a lot of them, so um, be sure that if you don't get one today, you can get one next week. They'll be out there again. They're $10 each. Here's the great thing about it and the reason that we chose it. Each day, it has a different prayer. There's 31 prayers in there. But at the end of it is a journal. And the journal contains space for you that is blank for you to be able to write things down about how God not only spoke to you, but how he led you to pray for someone in your church. So if you think of praying for the church, perhaps the first thing you think of is like, well, that means like praying for the new building. Well, that would be a great thing. I would love for you to do that. But when you're praying for the church, you're praying for the church body. And there's needs going on in your church. So there's an email that goes out each week or sometimes each day from Chris about things that are going on in the life of the church, things you can be praying about. If you don't receive that, we'd love to have you sign up for it. So it's just prayer at New Hope Hazlitt. 
And, and that way we can keep you in concert with the things that are going on. You can write those things down in the little journal in the back of the book and see how God responds to the needs of people in your own church. So I challenge you, consider doing that for the next 31 days. Pray the word for your church. Having said all that, have a great week, New Hope.